welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree, episode 87, Angels Among Us. Hi, everyone. So I don't know if you can tell, but my voice is all out of whack because I have been sick. I am so glad to be here. I am so glad that you are here, but today is going to be a little different. Because I've been sick, I haven't done all of the studying that I normally would have done. And I've always said since I started this podcast, to myself mostly, but I never wanted the the podcast and studying. I always wanted it to add to my personal life and add to the job I'm doing as a mother. And so this weekend, as I've been sick and haven't been studying, if I tried to scramble and put it together now, I know that I would neglect my kids today. So what I want to do today, I think you will enjoy just as much. I want to tell you a story. And it's one of the most powerful spiritual experiences that I have ever had. Now, for the few of you that have been here since the very, very beginning when I started to do this podcast almost two years ago, I have already told this story. So maybe you've forgotten it by now. Maybe you're someone who knows me. And so you definitely have heard this story. But really, most of you that listen now at this point probably have not because most of you, there were only like 20 people listening at the beginning of my podcast. So I think most of you haven't heard it. All right. I want to start with a quote from Elder Lund in his book, Divine Signatures. He said, God loves his children and it pleases him to bless them, especially when they are striving to do his will. These blessings, also called tender mercies, come in many different forms and in many different ways. Sometimes the Lord sends his blessings in such a highly unusual, dramatic, and precisely timed manner that it might be likened to a divine signature. It is though the Lord signs the blessing personally so that we will know with certainty that it comes from him. In doing so, God not only gives us the blessing, but at the same time, he also strengthens our faith and deepens our testimony of him. I want you to remember that term that Elder Lund used that he entitled his book after, Divine Signature. This story is full of divine signatures from our Heavenly Father. In 2013, my husband Daniel and I lived in Auburn, Washington, which is a suburb outside of Seattle. The home that we had there was so special to us. We had purchased it as a short sale as a result of the 2008 housing market crash. And when we got it, it was pretty destroyed. The growth in the yard was over my head, and the inside was covered in graffiti and stains that we only could figure out ever that somebody must have taken a pot of coffee and just bounced or like hopped like a kangaroo all over the house as violently as they could. And doors were smashed in, and all of the toilets were full of dried human waste. (laughs) You get the picture. But we saw the potential, and structurally, it was still quite sound. It just needed some TLC. In the back, it had a large bay of windows overlooking a lush Seattle golf course, and we cleaned it up, and in the end, it was a truly beautiful home. I loved it, and it was the house of my dreams. And at that point in my life, I'd never even imagined that I'd ever live in a house that was that nice. And don't get me wrong, it's not like it was any kind of insane house. It was just nicer than anything that I had ever imagined that I would be able to live in. I grew up in a beautiful home. But it was kind of crumbling, <laughs> and most of my friends' houses were older and kind of crumbling too. So this this nice new house that we had fixed up just seemed too good to be true. After about three years of living there, my husband Daniel decided to change up his career and go work for a software company in Utah. I was pretty heartbroken to leave the house that we'd worked so hard to clean up and loved. 
The job offer required that he get down to Utah pretty fast. So I was left all alone to sell our house and take care of our two kids. And I was pregnant with our third child. And because I was going to be doing all of this myself, we hired a full service moving company. They were to show up between 8 and 10 a.m. the last morning that we owned the house. A sweet ward member, Connie, who lived up the hill from me, had offered to watch the girls for the day, so I hurried them over before the moving company was to show. I finished all of my last-minute tasks that needed to be done, and then I waited. And I waited until 10.20 in the morning, and still no one showed. I called the moving company, who told me that I wasn't scheduled until the next day. Now, I didn't know at the time, but this is actually a common scam that shady moving companies use. They tell you that they scheduled you for the wrong day, knowing that the homeowner selling their home will be desperate to figure out what to do since the next day they will no longer own their home. They feigned a scramble and told me that they were able to find a subcontractor crew to come pack up my house. So when the crew finally arrived after one in the afternoon, several hours late, it was clear that none of them spoke English, or at least they pretended to not be able to speak English. They very roughly packed up my house, taking very little care with all of my fragile things. But I was young and stressed because of our now very tight timeline, and I didn't know what to do other than accept what I could get. The main guy in charge kept trying to tell me something in very unclear and broken English about there being more stuff than he was told, and he wanted me to sign papers and told me that they wouldn't continue packing until they were signed. I signed knowing kind of in my gut that I shouldn't, but also not really knowing what else to do, which is what they count on in this scam. Now, the scam isn't really the central part of the story, but just so that you know what eventually happened, when they delivered our things a couple of weeks late in Utah, they demanded that we pay far more than we originally agreed to. And the scam works on people because they're holding your stuff hostage and they have a signed paper that you did sign and they put you in that impossible situation in the first place. So anyway, it eventually got resolved and actually we got a lawyer involved and it all ended up sort of working out. But like I said, that's not really the, the focus of the story. The point is that it was an extremely stressful day. My intention was to leave by 6 a.m. to start driving to Utah the next day. And I wanted to do it in one day because it just sounded too exhausting to divide it into two with, with my two kids and being pregnant. I just wanted to get it over with. But the moving crew that had come so late didn't finish until 11.30 at night. So I put the girls to bed and I still needed to clean the house. It had moving packaging bits everywhere and tracked dirt and mud from the crew and just general cleaning that it was I always intended to do after they left, but it was never supposed to take until 11.30 at night. I already knew with all of this to do that it was going to be unsafe for me to leave at 6 a.m. because this was going to take a while. So I took a deep breath and started cleaning. And I started sweeping and quickly moved on to vacuuming the carpet. And after only one room, my vacuum completely died. And this was a vacuum that had never had any problems before. So I tipped the vacuum on its side and I could see the bottom. And I was trying to figure out what was wrong with it. And of course, I, I didn't know how to fix it. And I cried and I prayed, really not knowing what to do. My house truly was a disaster. And I couldn't even fathom leaving it like this for the new people moving in. But what was I going to do? I, I didn't have a vacuum. And I pleaded for Heavenly Father to help, but not really even knowing what I was even asking for. Did I want him to magically make my carpet clean as soon as I opened my eyes for my prayer? I had no idea what the solution was going to be. After a couple of minutes of sitting on my floor and feeling helpless, there was a knock at my door. 
And at this time, my thought was, who on earth? I had never had anyone, at least in this neighborhood, knock on my door at midnight. And I peeked out to see the face of my sweet neighbor, Andrea. She lived about five houses down and she was in my ward. She said, I happened to glance out my window down the street and I saw that your lights were still on and I felt like maybe you needed some help. My relief at that moment was overwhelming. I was exhausted physically and mentally and this was a powerful tender mercy to me. I told her that I couldn't believe that she was there and that my vacuum had just broken and I had just been praying, telling Heavenly Father that I didn't know what to do. She ran home, she grabbed her vacuum, and stayed with me until the house was entirely clean. She was my miracle number one. I didn't know it, but the miracles that would happen the next day were already underway. That night, my mom had said a very specific prayer, asking Heavenly Father to send ancestor angels to help me as I drove, so exhausted and so far by myself, and she, as my mother, was worried about me doing that. I went to bed about two in the morning. And I knew, like I said, it wouldn't be safe for me to wake up at six like I had planned and then try to drive the 13 hours to Utah. So I delayed until 8.30. I knew that the new people were coming sometime mid-morning to take over the house, so I had to get out of there. I cried as I said goodbye to my, my beautiful chandelier that I love so much, my peaceful view and my happy blue walls. That house will always hold a special place in my heart, and it was really hard to leave it. So we started the big drive. I was fine at first, probably working from the adrenaline of leaving, but gradually I could feel my eyelids getting heavier and heavier. I vividly remember watching my eyelashes shaking, straining to stay open as I drove. And it was at that moment that I knew I absolutely could not safely keep driving. We were in the middle of nowhere and I pulled off an exit on a small road and parked off to the side and turned on Pocahontas on our little DVD player. I needed some sleep, but I wondered, would the girls really be quiet for an entire movie? Would they really not wake me up a couple of times within that hour and a half with questions or requests? And I really didn't think so. So I prayed and I prayed that Heavenly Father would help them focus on the movie and not try to talk to me. So I closed my eyes as the movie started and then they opened to the ending credit music. They did it. I couldn't believe it. I said a prayer of gratitude. And now looking back, were there angels back there that my mom had called upon? Keeping them happy? I think so. Miracle number two. So after my little nap, I felt much better. I was still tired, but alert enough to feel safe driving. We drove for a few more hours till we needed to stop for gas. We were again in the middle of nowhere and came to one of those places off the side of the highway that had four gas stations close together, but that truly was the only thing anywhere in sight. I pulled in and I got my gas and then I moved the car to the parking area on the side of the gas station so I could take the girls in for a bathroom break. Even though I had gotten my nap, I still felt pretty emotionally depleted. And as I was noticing that I was feeling that way and having these thoughts, I kept thinking to myself how lucky I was that these kinds of trials were my hard ones. So many other peoples have what I thought of as real trials, and these were just little ones. But little or not, in the moment, I felt completely drained. As I got out of the car, I heard my name being called from across the parking lot. It was my neighbor, Connie, the one that had watched the girls the day before. Here we were, five hours away from home, and she had chosen the exact same gas station in the middle of nowhere at the exact same time and happened to see me. 
We talked for a minute, and she told me that she also was headed to Utah to attend general conference with her 17-year-old son, Elliot. I told her that I was tired, but we were doing fine, and she insisted that we carpool with her. That way, if I needed help, that they would be right there. It was such a sweet offer, and I accepted. And I went in to take the girls to the bathroom, and as I was in there, I started to feel more stressed about our carpool idea. I had little kids and we were going to have to stop more often than they were and we were going to slow them down. So when I went back outside, I told her about my concerns about slowing her down and that she should go ahead without us. As she protested, I comforted her by telling her that if I really needed help, I would know that they weren't really that far ahead of me and I could call them to turn around and help me. So she relented and we said goodbye. I went to buckle in my youngest, Kenna, She was two, and somehow I still really don't understand exactly what happened, but the doors shut after I buckled her in, and the car locked with the keys still inside. I realized very quickly that I had just locked my two-year-old in the car, in the cold, in the middle of nowhere, so I immediately start running after Connie's car that was just pulling away, and thankfully they saw me running behind them and stopped. Even before I had time to process exactly the situation I was in, I knew that I needed them there. I was already at the end of my wits, too emotional and too tired. And more importantly, Heavenly Father knew that I needed them there. And through divine intervention, He made sure that we ended up at the same gas station at the same time in the middle of nowhere. Miracle number three. They parked beside my car and put my oldest Lana in their warm, comfortable car while we decided what to do. Her son Elliot played peekaboo and entertained Kenna through the window. With my very needed friends staying with the car and the girls outside, I went inside to the gas station, wondering how long this was going to take. How long could I leave Kenna in the car without deciding I needed to break the window? It was cold outside, not necessarily dangerously cold, but cold enough that eventually I would decide it was too long. How long would it take to get a locksmith in the middle of nowhere to me? I got to the counter and I explained my situation to the clerk. He listened and started to get out a phone book. And in the midst of me telling him, I heard a voice in line behind me. It was a tall, grungy man with a kind voice. And he said, I am a locksmith. I have all of my tools in the back of my truck. I can help. At this moment, the spirit filled my body. I felt so loved and so known. There had already been so many clear divine signatures, so many clear miracles that day. Heavenly Father knows me and loves me. He knew in the midst of my relatively small trial exactly what I needed. He had been with me the whole time, providing the exact miracles I needed. And here was my miracle number four, a locksmith in the middle of nowhere, at the same gas station, in line behind me, right as I was trying to figure out what to do. It took the locksmith 45 minutes to get the car unlocked. He kept getting it unlocked, but then the door would immediately relock as a security feature. We eventually had to stick one of his long hook-shaped tools through the passenger window and hook the keys in my purse and push the button. He was so patient and kind, and then he refused any sort of payment. Kenna was happy the whole time with Elliot playing with her through the window, and Lana was happy the whole time watching a movie in my friend's warm car. And I held it together because three people were my angels that day. And who knows how many more on the other side of the veil were influencing events and supporting me. I remember right after they all drove away, 
gratefully thinking about how on the edge of losing it I already was and how Heavenly Father knew that and supported me through the last 15 hours in ways that cannot possibly be explained by coincidence. There were too many of them. It was absolutely 100% a divine signature from our Heavenly Father. The rest of the drive was hard, but it was manageable. We finally arrived late at night, ordered food from my favorite restaurant in the area, sat down in our new empty apartment, and soaked in the newness of our situation and the amazing divine events of the day. Heavenly Father knew about my little trial that day. And certainly, if He knows about that, He knows and cares about yours, little and big. Let's read again what Elder Lund defines as a divine signature. Sometimes the Lord sends His blessings in such a highly unusual, dramatic, or precisely timed manner that it might be likened to a divine signature. It is as though the Lord signs the blessing personally so that we will know with certainty that it comes from Him. In doing so, God not only gives us the blessing, but at the same time, He also strengthens our faith and deepens our testimony of Him. This experience was a deep, defining moment for my testimony. There was no doubt in my mind that He was aware of me, and He signed that experience with His signature unmistakably. Do you remember what President Nelson asked us to do this last general conference? He asked us to seek and expect miracles in our lives. I know as we seek and expect miracles, you will see moments in your life that are signed by He who made you. They will be unmistakable, at least to you. Now I hope as I tell you this story, that that signature is also unmistakable to you, but far more powerful will be your own miracle. So I encourage you to take President Nelson's challenge seriously. Seek and expect miracles in faith. I love that he used the word expect. Expect implies that you aren't wondering if they're going to pop up. That is an implied promise that as we seek miracles in faith, believing, expecting them to come, that they will come and you will know that they are from your creator. Now, really quickly as I end, I want to talk about why I called the episode Angels Among Us. I want, right as this episode ends, for you to go listen to the song Angels Among Us by Alabama. Now, it's country. Don't be scared away. Just go listen to it and really soak in the words. It is a beautiful song and one of my favorites. And with that, I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.